the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it's the Seth Liebson Show, but it's not Seth's voice coming to you from your radio speaker or over the Internet. I am Hugh Hallman, the former mayor of the city of Tempe. Seth likes to introduce me as a political has-been or a never-was, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I am joined by my son, Lewis, who is the data, data analytics expert who helps us crank the numbers on our stock and trade. COVID-19. We've been doing this since uh, March or so of 2020 to, pry, to try to provide to Seth's listeners insights into what's really going on uh, and why our policymakers seem to be losing their minds at times. Uh, thinking about the political environment in which we live, I think uh, Lewis would probably argue that this is uh, convenient for those who would like to gain control of our lives. I would indeed. You know, there. It, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, giving someone a better noose with which to hang you with than to give them unilateral authority over where you can go, who you can see, and whether you can what, even leave your home. Whether you can go to a restaurant, whether you can go to a loved one's funeral. You know, it, it is. Attend to a loved one who's dying in a hospital. Right. It is a. It is a clawing abandonment of humanity and those appetites and inclinations that make us make life bearable, right? All done in the name of power grab, right? You know, we were it's done in the name of saving us. Well, that's the public excuse, right? It, let me let me give the example of the current vaccine mandate in California, for instance, that restaurants in the San Francisco area, there there may be other extensions to this, require Vaccine passes if you are to enjoy eating inside these establishments, which is fascinating to me because the CDC itself in its own white papers claim and argue that the vaccine does not reduce the transmissibility of COVID-19. All it does is it, it prevents the most serious consequences of contracting the virus. So the only person who's advantaged by a vaccine is... Well, the probabilistic healthcare seats that are saved by the administration of the virus. So it's, no, it's, no, it's the point amazing being to is me that even the CDC admits that it, you get it vaccinated not to save other people, but to save yourself from right. bad health outcomes. You don't reduce the likelihood that you spread SARS-CoV-2. Right. That you, is the you, you virus do, that creates COVID. You also will probably reduce the aggregate consumption of healthcare resources in some regard. Now, the magnitude of that savings is not massive, right? But it's we'll to see that, that individual or consequences outside the restaurant. Well, if we're going for a societally imposed vaccine mandate, then to me, that just spells the story that society is very, very, very concerned about the probabilistic use of those few healthcare seats that we're saving on the margin through the vaccination. So let's rather than containing the spread of the virus or otherwise ending the pandemic. And I will say before I let you interrupt me, if I may, that I keep reading article after article written by people who say we are not allowed to have our freedoms because of the unvaccinated. If only the unvaccinated would comply, then we could all have our freedoms. And I'm sorry, the causation doesn't work that way. If only the government stopped its detestable 
uh, moral, busybodied nature and allowed you to have your freedoms, then you would have your freedoms. It's nothing to do with the behavior of the unvaccinated and everything to do with those that would control you at at, the, at a fundamental level. Your point being is that the person who is vaccinated or not is making an individual choice that does not effectively impact anyone else except on the margin, you're saying, about hospitalization. And, of right. course, remember, that's how this started. We're going to slow the spread so that our hospitals are not overwhelmed. That was the beginning drumbeat. But slowly but surely, it was we need to stop the spread by people who'd fallen in love with the exercise of power. And the creation of new moral classes of people. The vaccinated, the saintly masses can then go and enjoy their civil liberties and freedoms while the unvaccinated, the untouchables of our day are left excluded. And in fact, it's a false statement. It's a it's a false narrative because, again, vaccination impacts the person who's vaccinated or not, not the likelihood of someone spreading it. And in fact, it was that false narrative that the president engaged in himself, claiming that if you got vaccinated, you would not risk spreading the disease, you would not risk bad health outcomes, you would not risk going to the hospital, and you would not die. That was absolutely false. We understood it was going to be false when we understand how vaccinations work. They are imperfect tools. There is clear data, and this is where Lewis and I would ask everyone to understand. We're here to give you information. You do with it what you will, but we're going to give you the full Monty here. And that means that it is the case that it does look to be clear that as data has been collected, and we probably got the best bit of that uh, through Israel last summer, that vaccination does reduce the likelihood of a bad health outcome. It reduces the likelihood that you, the vaccinated person, will go to the hospital or die from the disease. It does not likely reduce the likelihood that you'll spread SARS-CoV-2 to other people, that you can still uh, get the disease. And in fact, Arguably, there's some likelihood that it increases the spread by vaccinated people. Why? Because they're more behavioral likely economics. To, behavioral economics. They're more likely to behave in a way that is more risky and more likely to spread. In addition, because of the reduced symptoms they suffer from, they're more likely to have an asymptomatic case, therefore not know that they are carrying the virus and spreading it to so many other people because they are behaving in ways that they are invincible. It's not clear, though which way the, the causation goes on that. It could all, it, it, another legitimate, perfectly legitimate hypothesis might be that uh, people who choose to be vaccinated have significantly lower risk tolerance than people who choose to remain unvaccinated. And so much of the difference in rate spread between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, if we know that it's not mechanical per the CDC's white paper, might simply be a selection bias from the different samples of who chooses to be vaccinated versus who does not and the accompanying types of behavior that that entails. Yes, it is more likely that uh, if you're in the military, you will die of a gunshot wound it is also more likely that if you've chosen to go into the military, you're more likely to take risks that would lead to that, as an example. Right. In this instance, of course, slowing the spread meant we we're going to protect our hospitals from being overwhelmed. During the entire pandemic, we never relied on surge beds. During the entire pandemic, there have always been empty beds, both in the inpatient bed system and in the emergency rooms here in uh, not emergency rooms in the intensive care units here in the state of Arizona. The change in, uh, has been who's been in those beds. And I've raised this point before. Isn't it interesting that here we still sit 
with inpatient beds with a 7% vacancy rate in our inpatient beds, with our ICU beds, with uh, 8% available beds. We've got a drop in COVID, yet the beds are still filled. Why? Because hospitals have to have people in beds to stay in business. They don't survive by having empty beds. They work radically like hotels in that instance. They work diligently to make sure that there are enough scheduled surgeries and other elective things going on so that the beds are filled with people who need those services and they can charge enormous amounts of money to an insurance system that's entirely broken uh, that you and I as taxpayers are paying for in order to backfill uh, the salaries of the people who run those hospitals. So here we sit with inpatient beds as of today with a, as before, a 7% vacancy rate. We have 62% of our beds filled with non-COVID patients, and we have 31% filled with COVID patients, keeping in mind that those are people, many of whom came into the hospital for hip surgery and tested positive for COVID. They came for a hip surgery, so they are in the hospital with COVID, not from COVID. And failing to understand that during the entire pandemic has meant that our policymakers have continued to overreact and overrespond to a pandemic that is now starting to look a lot like flu. Why do we say that? We're going to come back to it in just a moment. In our intensive care units, we have 8% empty beds still. Where's the Arizona Republic reporting that we uh, still have too many people in the hospital? The answer is that is a traditional empty rate. Whether you're in a pandemic or not, we try to keep our hospitals filled between so that there's only 10 to 8 percent empty beds. Otherwise, they go out of business. You don't build more beds than that. Then we have in our uh, ICUs, we have 50 percent of our beds filled with non-COVID patients. And finally, we have 35 percent of our beds filled with people who are there and have tested positive for COVID. But many of them are there because they had a heart attack and tested positive for COVID. So they had a heart attack and have COVID or are with SARS-CoV-2, not from SARS-CoV-2 COVID. In addition, we have the continuing drumbeat of misreporting deaths. We have just today... Our own Arizona Department of Health Services reporting 183 deaths. When we come back, we're going to talk about how ridiculous that is and how it has led to a complete derangement of our policy handling COVID at the federal level and at our state level. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We're going to give Lou a little bit more time. We're on the Seth Liebson Show here at KKNT 960. We'd love it if you would join our conversation at 602 508 0960. We'll be right back. Yes, indeed. We enjoy the sun coming up in the morning. And here we are on the Seth Liebson Show being brought to you by KKNT 960, The Patriot. If you'd like to join us on the discussion about COVID-19, I am Hugh Hallman, joined by Lewis Hallman here at 602-508-0960. Just before the break, we were getting into the nut of it that uh, our state and federal government have uh, lost their minds uh, in policymaking because they don't understand simple numbers. And specifically, we were talking about, uh, for example, today, our Arizona Department of Health Services, as repeated in the echo chamber at the Arizona Republic, we had 183 deaths reported today. Now, that wasn't 183 people who dropped dead yesterday. It was 183 death certificates that had been rounded up for the entire period of the pandemic. And they've been looking at the dates and slotting them into the actual dates of death. But it ain't today. In very few instances was it today. In fact, to give you an example of that, 
We had uh, in our uh, in our discussions, we worked diligently to write down the data that the Arizona Department of Health Services reports. We have to do that on a daily basis. Why? Because they overwrite it the next day and you can't get it. They won't supply it in a sensible way so that you can replicate the nonsense that they're generating because they like to hide it. So, for example, on January 12th, the AZDHS, Arizona Department of Health Services, reported 213 deaths from COVID-19. That was January 12th. The actual number of deaths over time that were finally reported for that date is 58. That's correct. On January 17th, the AZDHS reported 183 deaths. The actual number is 55. On January 18th, it was 170 deaths. The actual number was 53. And the reason we make fun of this is, of course, only when it leads, it bleeds, does the paper report it. Does the national news lose its mind and report these terrible statistics? And do petty tyrants engineer policy to reduce us of our civil liberties? Indeed, that's their result. And yet on January 24th, when the state reported zero deaths because somebody had taken a holiday and not gathered up the death certificates, there was no headline about zero deaths reported that day. Now, the actual number of deaths that have turned up for uh, January 24th, of uh, 2022 was 51 so far. As of January 31st, they reported 140 deaths, of which there are 19. Now, as the weeks go on, more death certificates with the date of January 31st will be found, but there ain't going to be 140 of them because many of those 140 deaths reported on January 31st were for prior periods. And the same is true of today's number, 183. But here's the stunning part, and I'm turning it over to Lou. Lewis discovered something fascinating about what our federal government was doing with the data the Arizona Department of Health Services reporting. Lewis, tell our listeners what the uh, the federal government was doing with it. The CDC is merely taking the reported daily death certificates found on every given day and treating it as if it is the true number of deaths that occurred on that day, as is every major media outlet I care to research, as is almost every academic journal I can find. And so what's the result of that, Lou? What are they actually then using for their data analysis? Well, the end result is that you get a distortion because you are accounting for many more deaths, particularly from more lethal variants such as Delta, and many of those deaths are now more than two months in the past. We then are reporting deaths that then at the state level, which are properly attributed to the day that they occurred, but at the CDC level, they are treated as if they are the day that was reported. So to give you a for instance, just to try and give you the magnitude of the issue, if you look at the number of death certificates the Arizona Department of Health Services attributed over the last two months since December 1st, you would count 5,555 deaths. That's actual people who died in the last 60 it is, days. It is not. It is not. That is the number of death certificates counted in the last okay, 60 I'm days. I'm sorry. From all periods. Right. Now, if you look at the actual time series and look at how many people actually died during that period, AZDHS currently reports that number as 3,663 people. That causes a difference in the case fatality rate from the Arizona Department Services numbers, you would calculate a case fatality rate of 0.35% over uh, uh, since December 25th. But if you use the CDC's data, you would calculate a 0.53% case fatality rate. That is an overstatement of how deadly the disease currently is by over 50%. And we are basing that data on old, irrelevant 
information that do not reflect the accurate facts on the ground right now. That is the central cause that is deranging our policy response because what will happen as time goes on very, very far into the future, after we give it a few months, we will see the CDC's rate converge with the appropriate rate. But that will happen very slowly and is a result of much, much more data being happened. The result of this is that we cannot use today's data to inform us about decision-making now because it is so badly distorted as to be near useless. We've got then people trying to run medical studies right. to determine how deadly a particular disease so let me give is, you how useful masks are, how good vaccines are, and that gets all goofed up. If you distort the order in which people died relative to when the cases come in, then you get wild differences in the relative deadliness of each disease, particularly in the short run. Or the efficacy of masks or the efficacy Absolutely. of lockdowns or everything else. So let me give you a, another for instance. So between January 31st, the last time I did this analysis, and today, the uh, AZDHS has reported 464 deaths over that period. Now, of them, 440, or just shy of 95%, occurred on or before 124.22. So over a week before I had last done the analysis, and now two weeks before today, 95% of the deaths over the last week are more than two weeks old now. That is an astounding thing, and it causes us to very badly overweight the present lethality of the disease. Now, what we do have to caution everybody is it does take some time for cases to get reported and it takes some time for deaths to get reported. But it's not right. orders of magnitude as two months of delay. As an example, I can give you looking just at cases and deaths. Uh, it takes about a week for the case data all to get aggregated and put into the system. So when we talked last week about uh, cases, for example, I'll give you a sense of it. Uh, on I, I told you that on uh, January 30th, uh, that is the day before last week's show, that there were only 213 deaths then reported. Well, obviously, more cases have, I'm sorry, cases. More and more cases came in so that, for example, I reported to you that uh, last week that on January 26th, 11,946 cases had occurred. Well, now, as more and more cases have come in and filled in the data, it's actually 12,000, about 300 more. The longer this goes on, the fewer additional cases get reported and the fewer additional deaths get reported on any given day. And so with for the data on case rates, it takes about a week for all the data to get in in any sort of sensibleness. In deaths, it takes a little less time than that, precisely because uh, most deaths are quickly reported and we don't miss too many deaths. Cases take a little longer. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We're here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Rob, don't go away. We're going to come back and we're going to take your call after this next break. We hope you'll uh, join Rob in giving us a call at 602-508-0960. We're here on the Seth Liebson Show, filling in for our good friend Seth, who's getting a little bit of fun and sun in. And we look forward to uh, the conversation continuing just after this break. Yes, it is magic. You're here with Hugh Hallman and Lewis Hallman on the Seth Liebson Show on a beautiful afternoon. We've been talking COVID and Lewis's analysis of the fact that the CDC has been misusing data reported from the Arizona Department of Health Services because our state insists on reporting the number of death certificates found in a day 
as opposed to saying how many people they believe died the prior day. Uh, they instead make headlines by reporting every death certificate they found for the last two years uh, that may have occurred on any time in that prior two years all in one day, which means the longer the pandemic goes on, the more likely it is that they'll find older death certificates that they want to attribute to COVID-19. That is to say that we have in the U.S. a 60-day standard that says if you drop dead of covid Within 59 days of testing positive for SARS-CoV-2, you're a COVID death by, by government fiat. That was dictated by the World Health Organization and the CDC. That continues in the United States, unlike in other places uh, like Europe, where they changed from a 60-day standard to a 28-day standard. And conveniently cut their death rates in half when they did so. We're going to bring in Rob. Rob, uh, welcome to the conversation. What are you thinking? Well, I think a lot of things, you guys. First of all, you all do a great job whenever you're on the show, and I always enjoy hearing you guys. Um, and, and thanks for everything you, go, you both do. Um, I was listening to Dennis, a little Dennis Prager today, and he had mentioned that he doesn't trust anything that comes out of the uh, CDC, the NIH, or any of the government agencies that come out with any statistics that have to do with COVID. Um, I, I'm also, I was very intrigued, too, about you guys bringing up the whole Arizona Department of Health. Um, it all boils down to, and I guess I've, I've probably mentioned this a few times ago, uh, the, the idea that uh, there are people who die. And, and, and again, most people don't realize that between 7,000 and 8,000 people in America per day die. From independent of COVID, cause. yes, yeah, falling off of ladders, yeah, exactly. Having a heart attack, having cancer, having a stroke, uh, any any number of things, diabetes, and or obesity, I guess, which leads to other problems with the uh, with the COVID issue. And I think the uh, I think you know, and we keep talking about a pandemic. We keep talking about vaccinations. And we never talk about the alternatives to vaccinations, I guess, because there's no money in it. The, you know, and I'm almost 68. I'll, I'll turn 68 next month. I've uh, never gotten a shot. I don't plan to. Uh, my wife and I both uh, do the zinc, the C, the D3, the multis, and neither one of us have gotten it. Uh, we've been tested a ton of times. And um, I just I find it frightening that the government does not allow any alternative to a vaccine like, you know, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or the vitamins. And Well, you, you may have now caused our podcast for this show to be taken off the air because uh, mentioning any of oh, those yeah. things is verboten. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and that's part of the problem, too. I mean, uh, that that isn't even part of the conversation. That's not part of uh, what is what is being reported in the news? They, there are other alternatives that nobody talks about, and it's all about a vaccination and all about uh, you know mandatory vaccination and booster shots and mandates and all this. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, let's go back a little and remember that you know we're dealing with something with a 99 plus percent recovery rate or survival rate. Uh, we keep forgetting that for some reason. And we've also apparently got a lot of Americans conditioned to believe that if you don't get the vaccine, 
uh, yeah, you're evil, you're a Nazi, you're, you're horrible, and uh, we don't want anything to do with you, when in fact those who get the vaccines are still spreading the vaccine, but it's less deadly. And again, I mean, we've been lied to. We've been lied to for two years now. And I think it's about time Americans started waking up and started fighting back and said, quit lying to me because we we're on to you now. Well, in and fact, we know, Rob, let me let me give you an example here. NPR suddenly better. suddenly is reporting that the future of the pandemic is looking clearer. We have greater information about what's going on. And this is now coming from the NPR side of the universe. These are people talking about the fact that the infection has uh, has changed dramatically and that had not been reported by most of our news sources, uh, that it is finally making its way into the uh, corporate press that wants to report all things Biden in a more positive way. They're now attributing the control of the virus and how it has changed to what the Biden administration has done. We'll come back uh, after this break. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We're filling in for our friend Seth Liebson on KKNT 960, The Patriot. We look forward to your conversation. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman filling in for Seth with my son, Lewis. As is our stock and trade, we're talking about COVID on this uh, third hour of the Seth Liebson Show here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Uh, Lewis, I think you ought to tell folks uh, how well it's going in California following uh, the left side universe in healthcare. Well, let me let me get to that, if I may. I think that one of the things that we're not appreciating very well over the course of this pandemic is that our federal system is an avenue and a mechanism for parallel experimentation that fosters and honors the very pluralism and and. Uh, a diversity of thought that our society is predicated on. Meaning federal system having 50 states that are part of the right. experimental and pods to their create. own governors with their own independent COVID policy. And so we can't begrudge Californians for electing what they'd like to have in power. Right. No, we cannot. Um, however, what we can do, I would argue, is we could look very carefully and very askance at a state health care system whose Regular administration pre-pandemic led to the resurrection and revival of both leprosy and the bubonic plague amongst its citizenry. And that they Why don't then... you describe that a little more cleanly, Lou? Explain sure. to folks how it is that the bubonic plague has made reappearance in California. Through homeless encampments in and around Skid Row principally, though there have been outbreaks in the San Francisco Bay Area. The same with leprosy as well. Um, Middle-aged diseases that you know really are, in some sense, the ultimate pre-industrial horror that are flourishing now uh, in the environment that they have been given. Now, clearly it matters very much to these people if you vaccinate your face before entering a restaurant, but I'm very interested to see how California's healthcare policy treats the weakest among them and the results that they then have that way. Because despite claiming to be so compassionate and so merciful, it's not obvious to me that either compassion or mercy factor into their thinking. As a result, we now have homeless encampments and folks in San Francisco with leprosy and bubonic plague. And homeless encampments that are now springing up in the other 49 states through grotesque overreach at the federal level. So here we are dealing in an environment in which discussion of different points of view and that pluralism that gives rise to the opportunity to have uh, civil conversations about differences of opinion and insight 
is now starting to visit upon us for two years. We've had a pandemic that's been treated a certain way, and we saw people like our own Seth Liebson, myself, uh, removed from the airways for uh, speaking heresy about uh, how things ought to be examined carefully and questioned using using uh, critique and questioning minds. It delights me that I'm not famous enough to be known to that regard. Well, in fact, Lewis, you were a, a co-author of an editorial we couldn't get published because it was off narrative. <laughs> it didn't support the current Biden administration narrative that just get vaccinated and you won't die. But now we finally have some interesting news popping out of nothing other than the NPR news stream. And I quote, in fact, a systematic infection triggers a remarkable immune response in the general population, likely offering protection against severe disease and death for a few years, period, unquote. This is coming out of studies from London, King's College in particular, where they began looking at people over long-term time series, Lewis's favorite thing to do, uh, and compare what's happened over time in a real way with uh, – uh, hundreds and in some cases thousands of patients to look at how those people who actually got an infection of SARS-CoV-2 fared afterward compared to those who were not vaccinated in the first instance or those who did not get the disease the first time around. And it is very clear that from this set of studies, the most uh, protection one can get is from actually having suffered through the disease. Now imagine that, that the human system is built that if you survive a disease, the human system creates antibodies against that disease to protect you. But interestingly, it is not perfect protection. And if you think that through, you kind of understand why. The body's system has survived over generations of, of uh, uh, recreation so that the people who have succeeded to survive disease over time – uh, continue to do so and have the kinds of makeup that allows them most likely to do so. So why is it that we have the fall off of protection from antibodies over time with any disease? It's true of every disease that visits human beings, that you lose protection over time. That in this study of uh, current COVID patients who previously were infected, the studies are pretty clear that antibodies and immunity drops off over about three to four to five to six months, but then it plateaus. And shortly after that, you then have an immune system response creating special cells that continue to very quickly replace the antibodies and maintain a level of protection for the body. But it's not perfect. Why? Because the body is trying to balance the risk from that particular disease against the costs of protecting against it using energy and systems to create protection and balancing against other diseases so that the body is naturally trying to balance among all of the threats that might visit any particular human being. And yet we as human beings have a hard time thinking about that. And federal governmenters who want to pick winners and losers and choose who their friends are and get to give them big piles of money uh, are particularly bad at it. So now comes a study that the federal government doesn't like having out there. It's done by a group none other than at John Hopkins, which has been quoted by the CDC and our friend Mr. Fauci repeatedly, except when they come out with something that is counter to their narrative. And the most recent study was a January 2022 study. Studies in Applied Economics did a study of the literature review and meta-analysis of the effects of lockdowns on COVID-19 mortality. 
Lewis and I have actually gone through it and read it carefully. We won't bore you with that, but you will hear others talking about it on this radio station and other folks who agree with us. We just point out that we like to read this stuff thoroughly to make sure we understand it completely. And in this instance, this is a study of studies that the authors pulled thousands of studies on the subject of how did lockdowns affect mortality and narrowed the study down to those that actually did a sensible job of examining mortality and the impact on mortality rates of actual lockdowns in appropriate time series and examining it over appropriate period of times and comparing them to the alternative of no lockdown and looking very carefully at that data. And their conclusion is that lockdowns used across Europe and the United States impacted mortality by 0.2% or less. That would be 0.2%, not 0.2 percentage points, correct? Correct. And so, for example, in the state of Arizona, during the entire pandemic, there were uh, 26,000, let me 822 get these. cumulative deaths from COVID-19. And so, Lewis, what was the affected uh, impact on uh, that mortality rate in the state of Arizona by the state of Arizona's lockdown? Well, if we conclude that the study is accurate, it would be approximately 54 marginal deaths saved for all of our collective effort. So all of the collective effort of shutting down the state of Arizona economy may over have resulted... Over 21 months. Over 21 months may have resulted in saving 54 lives. But there were costs, not just economic costs. There were human costs. Children kept out of schools. Depression. Drug overdoses and suicides that highly outstrip that benefit. We're going to come back and talk about that as we close out the show. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman here on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Thank you to Seth Liebson for letting us fill in on The Seth Liebson Show. We'll catch you just around this break. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We're here to say thank you to Seth for allowing us to fill in for him on this beautiful afternoon. We wish him great fun in the sun and enjoyment. Uh, Lewis, you wanted to start our closeout. Yeah, let's do that. So I, I, I think, you know, having, having been speaking for the last two hours or so, that the big thrust of our argument, the big meat of it, is that pluralism is good and important and a key fundamental virtue of our society and our system. Pluralism works best if we have a decentralized model in which responsibilities and duties are imposed. And what we have been seeing for the last two years, if that study is accurate, spending more treasure than we did in the entire cumulative time of World War uh, II. And what we've also seen is that 2021, not 2020, was the first year since the records began in which the American population shrunk. We have closed our borders and ended part of the supplemental stopgap of our of our demography, which is immigration. We have closed everything down to make one point about one issue and one disease in the interest of not killing grandma. And that way, when one piece of policy excludes all other considerations, I think that way lies madness. And the challenge we have is that it's not that grandma isn't worth saving, but we understood very early on in this pandemic who was at risk. We know that 80 percent of all deaths from uh, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 have come in the demographic 65 and over. Uh, 
With the median age of 75 to 78, depending on whose sources you look at. And as a result, we had policymakers who failed us and now are trying to deny that they failed us. The study we were just discussing, the literature review of the effects of lockdowns on COVID-19 mortality, was the subject of a question asked of the president of the United States, or actually his press secretary. And she lied. In the face of a study that shows that lockdowns perhaps saved 0.2% of the people who otherwise uh, would have died from COVID-19. Fewer than one a week in the state of Arizona through the entirety of the pandemic. Lewis's point that it was 54 lives saved were outstripped by the number of lives lost from suicide, from drug overdose, and more important, that we have an entire generation of children who lost out on a significant amount of early learning, and they will carry those economic and social, emotional burdens for the rest of their lives. It will be a wound following that generation through the rest of its history on this earth. And that's on us, that we as adults were not successful in stopping the grab for power by those who wanted to exercise executive authority, by those at the federal and state governments who decided that they knew better than rational human beings who, if given data, would make good decisions for themselves and for their families. And the principal, principal reason that they have done this is in violation of the central foundational compromise of our society, that society and the future is for the living and the young. We have abrogated our our oaths in that regard to get towards temporary safety now, and we will pay for it in the future. Thank you for joining us. God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.